This morning's scripture is from the book of Psalm, chapter 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Happy birthday. Happy 500th anniversary, you at Stonebridge, because you are a part of this long heritage of what we call Protestantism. So this is a really almost exactly 500 years since Luther nailed the 95 Theses uh, to the North Church door. Uh, by the way, uh, since, since Rick mentioned it, uh, men of a certain age, even when they're grandfathers, they still think of themselves as stud muffins. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? Now, let me just say really clearly, Rick and Kevin, they really are stud muffins. <laughs> uh, th that is true. Uh, it's wonderful to be here to have... Uh, to be, have a reunion with, with, with Kevin and Bev and with Rick. It is, it is such a delight for me to be here. Uh, fun fact. You all know the name of Martin Luther King Jr., right? There are boulevards named after him in almost every city. There's a little backstory. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was actually born... Michael King Jr. And his father, when uh, Michael Jr. was five years old, his father went to Germany for a big annual conference. And Michael King Sr. was so taken with what he saw about Luther's Reformation in Germany, he came back and they renamed his five-year-old son Martin Luther King Jr., I bet you didn't know that. Now you do. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Luther this morning. Uh, Luther, and, I, and I, Rick and I were just talking at the end of the last service about what an interesting personality Luther was. Uh, he was, on the one hand, a brilliant scholar. Uh, he could be very stubborn. Uh, he was also somewhat coarse. 
uh, he's kind of infamous for his use of what we call scatological language, bathroom humor. He talked a lot about bowel movements, uh, usually in reference to the Pope. Uh, so he's, he's an interesting character. Uh, really earthy was the word that, that uh, people used to describe him. He was also a guy who, was, uh, who struggled with what we now call depression. He got really low at times in his life, and we can understand why. But along with the depression that, that kept kind of coming back from time to time, talks about it, was this, this powerful passion for God. I mean, it burned and churned within him how much he loved God. Uh, I sometimes say that the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, actually began in the inner turmoil of Luther's heart. Uh, the term that uh, scholars use, that Luther used of himself, about to describe this inner churning, uh, this, this sort of anxiety and even depression, he called it anfektungen. And what it really was, was this deep desire to find peace, reconciliation with God. He, he'd been trained to believe God was a judge and who was just waiting to strike him down the first time he made a mistake. And so he had this holy terror of God that he feared was just waiting to condemn him. That was the sort of the teaching of the medieval church. Now Luther describes some of these feelings that he had, and I think it's worth noting uh, just how intense it was. So let me read this briefly. Luther writes, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt like I was a sinner before God. I did not love, indeed, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, I was angry with God who threatened us with his wrath. So I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Do you feel the intensity of that language? Do you feel how deeply troubled he was in terms of his relationship with God and the tension that he felt as he stood before the God that he felt was this only a judge? When I reflect a little bit about what was going on in Luther's heart and life, he really wasn't debating the question or worrying about the question of whether God existed or not. That's sort of a modern-day kind of intellectual struggle. What Luther was struggling wa with was, did God really love him? That is a, an even more powerful, profound issue, I think. And so it was that through the internal struggles and, and anxieties of a German monk, that we have one of those major paradigm shifts in Western civilization that we call the Reformation. And it was through his crippling a desperation to find a gracious God that he began to see the good news, the gospel, in a whole different light. Luther found peace when he realized 
that one's relationship with the Almighty is based not on our righteousness, but on God's righteousness. Luther had this wonderful phrase. He talked about what he called the wonderful exchange. I exchange my sins for the righteousness of Christ. It's a pretty good deal. And this wonderful exchange takes place by faith, not by works. And so he discovered, rediscovered, probably is a better way to say it, a gracious God. A God who really did love him, who wasn't simply a judge. So we now come to Psalm 46. This is a kind of a famous psalm for Luther because this was the psalm that inspired the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, I'm an historian, so I kind of like to look back in history and look at the context of things. Uh, we know that Luther wrote this famous hymn in the summer of 1527. That was an awful year for him. Now remember, Luther had already been excommunicated from the church in 1521, six years previous. He'd been declared a heretic, doomed to eternal condemnation. But back in those days, the relationship between church and state was very much intertwined. So that not only was he declared a heretic, but he was declared a criminal. There were signs plastered all over Germany that said, Wanted, dead or alive, Martin Luther. You kill him, we'll give you some money. I mean, he lived the last 25 years of his life with a price on his head. Not unlike some of my relatives of the past. Well, you can imagine living with this kind of intensity, this anxiety of, of, of the burden of leadership and responsibility to lead this Reformation against the only church Luther had ever known, which is incredibly bold. Well, his anxiety, his Anfechtungen, resurfaced and actually began to haunt Luther, and he began to be anxious and feel those burdens very heavily. We know that in April of 1527, that he's in the middle of a sermon, and he feels just the oppression of the devil, and he gets disoriented, and he just says, folks, I've got to stop. I can't finish the sermon. And he walks and he sits down. And then in July of 1527, Something similar happens. He's in the middle of a sermon and he just can't continue. He feels the burden of what's going on in his life, living with a constant price on his head and the sense of, of leadership. He was forced to his bed. And you know and I know that our psychological state often affects our physical state. And so Luther was so depressed in the summer of 1527, that his body began to manifest uh, effects of this. 
He writes, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I am still trembling. I felt completely abandoned by Christ and I labored under the storms of desperation. Luther did recover his strength, but that kind of sentiment, this kind of struggle that he felt in July continued. We know that, that just a few months later, uh, one of his students, one of the students who traveled to Wittenberg to study under Luther, a guy named Leonard Kaiser, was in a church. And he was arrested, put on trial for heresy, for following Luther. And Leonard Kaiser was then burned to death. Now just stop, and this is, hits me very close to home. Because I think about what would it be like for me if Rick or Kevin were executed because they listened to something I said and believed what I said. That would break my heart into a thousand pieces. So I can only imagine what Luther felt that summer of 1527 when he knew that a student died a terrible death because of him. Now that's a burden. That's a heavy-duty burden. That same summer, the plague, the Black Plague, spread through Wittenberg. And all the pastors, all the Lutheran pastors, fled into the countryside, except Luther and his wife, Katie. They stayed and they ministered to the dead and the dying. And this nearly cost them the life of their one-year-old son, Hans. Here Luther is, is ministering to people, and then he notices that his little one-year-old son, Hans, is starting to show the effects of the plague. Little Hans contracted the plague because his father decided to stay. Now the good news is Hans survived. But all of these things came to bear upon Luther in the summer of 1527. Death was all around him. The burdens of leadership, the, the sense of, have I done the right thing? And it's at this moment that he turns to Psalm 46. And he found nourishment for his soul that helped him cope with all of these things and led him to write these wonderful, powerful, encouraging words like the first stanza. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood. Powerful language. And this became a balm for his soul, writing this hymn. You've already heard the psalm read, but it's really the first verse that sort of is the one that took Luther and led him to the language of a mighty fortress is our God. God is our refuge and strength, the psalmist says, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, if you look at Psalm 46, and you're trying to get a handle on what is this psalm about, it's very easy. This psalm is about trouble, troubles of one kind or another. 
I've looked at this pretty carefully, and I think there are two kinds of trouble that the psalmist is addressing. The first kind of trouble are what we call, what I might call natural troubles. Those things that happen to us that are beyond our control. In the first few verses, there's a reference to the mountains shake and quake, referring to natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes. And sometimes that happens. We've seen what happened to people in Texas and in Florida and Puerto Rico when these natural disasters hit. It's a terrible, terrible thing, but it's beyond our control. But there's a second kind of trouble being referenced here. He talks about warfare in particular. And wars are typically motivated by selfish desires. It's one king wanting to lord it over another king or to gain territory. And the troubles that come out of wars are what I would say are man-made troubles. These are troubles of our own causing. So I think there are two kinds of trouble being described here. Those kinds of our own making and those that are beyond our control. So the question, the burning question of Psalm 46 is how are we to cope with the troubles that come upon us, whether they are troubles of our own making or whether they are troubles beyond our control. And think of Luther now. He's in a, in a difficult situation, all kinds of burdens uh, wreaking havoc in his soul. And so he goes to the psalm, and there are basically three responses that the psalmist gives those of us who face troubles, whether those troubles of, are of our own making or whether those troubles are beyond our control. The first, I think the first spiritual advice when we find ourselves in trouble is to remember what God has already done in our lives. I love to say this to people, but every one of you who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a walking, talking miracle, the biggest miracle of all. You have been made living creatures. You were dead and now you're alive. That's a biggie. That's a really big miracle in your life. And so when you face difficulties and challenges in your life one of the things is to remember back what the lord has already done whether it's a conversion experience or whether it's some other wonderful expression of god's grace to you or some point where you've come to terms with with who god is let me be clear seminary presidents have troubles too we are not immune to the trials and tribulations of life. Let me give you a quick example, and if I can be personal with you. Uh, about three and a half years ago, I was inaugurated the fourth president of Biblical Theological Seminary. It was my big day. I was going to be strutting my stuff. People were going to be saying nice things about me that day. So obviously, I was looking forward to it. The day before, Carolyn and I had an appointment with a doctor. We knew that there were some potential issues, but I can still remember the doctor. 
looking at the screen of Carolyn's x-ray. And he said, that's cancer. I was devastated. Now, you have to understand, Carolyn is my best friend in life. I can't even imagine what life would be without my soul partner. We are, we, we are just knit together in a deep and powerful way. I love her. I'm crazy in love with her. And the thought that she would have to battle cancer just about undid me. Now, I've spent my life in kind of positions of authority. You see, I'm a professor. I tell other people what they're supposed to know. I preach all over the world. I'm, I'm telling people about God. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to be the one who has things under control. I'm here to tell you that I did not have things under control that day, the day before my inauguration. And what helped get me through, what helped us get through all of that, is remembering what God had already done in our lives. The reminder that we were walking, talking miracles, what God had already done. He'd given us this, this wonderful, deep, nourishing relationship. And that was encouragement to our souls as we faced the biggest challenge of our life. So I am living proof that when you face troubles, one of the things that we need to do is to look back and remember what God has already done. The good news is Carolyn had the surgery and it was successful and she's back in fighting form. And so I'm very grateful for it. The prognosis is magnificent. So we're, we're doing well. So when you're facing troubles, whether it's beyond your control or whether it's of your own making, remember what God has already done in your life. Second, remember who God is. The psalmist talks about, know that I am God. And it's very clear in this passage that the psalmist is reminding the listeners that Remember, God is sovereign, he's strong, he's powerful. He is the God who can rescue you from times of trouble, whether it's of your own making or whether it's something beyond your control. One of the things I see in this text that I just absolutely love is another attribute of God, not just his sovereignty and his power, but his faithfulness to his people. I describe it as a ferocious commitment to his people. Whether the troubles that befall you are of your own making or whether they are troubles beyond your control, this is the God to whom we turn in times of trouble. The God who can come to your rescue. Well, the third Thing that I think the psalmist is telling us to help us deal with these troubles, whatever they are, as they come to your life. And this is probably the primary focus 
of this entire psalm. You see it three times mentioned. And that is to remember that God is with us now. God is with us here and now. Verse 1, God is ever-present. And then you have this refrain in verse 7 and 11, God is with us. And so the psalmist is saying, don't forget, God is with you. Let's stop for a moment and ask the question, what does it mean to say God is with us? Well, first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. When the text says God is with us, it doesn't mean there will be no trouble in your life. It does not mean there will be no pain, no heartache, no disappointment, no failures. The psalmist is not offering a panacea. Here's what it does mean. The psalmist is saying that God is with us in the trouble, in the midst of the trouble. Luther caught this perfectly. In the stanza, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood. In other words, God is in it with you. God rules over the chaos of our lives, the brokenness of our lives, the messiness of our lives. He's not far removed. He's not out there. He's right here with you in it. Now, one of the things I love about this psalm is that there is an anticipation of Christ. It's a beautiful reference, a, a foretelling in a way of Christ. You remember the story of Mary and Joseph in the New Testament? And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. And he says, this son that is about to be born, you shall call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? But God with us. The supreme expression of what the psalmist was talking about in 46 was the, of Jesus Christ, the one who is with us in our times of trouble. Whether those troubles of our own making or whether they are issues beyond our control. That encourages my soul. I hope you are encouraged. Now, I'm looking out at faces here. And I'm seeing you look out. And I want to say something to you. I want you to know that I know you. I know you. I don't know you personally, but I know that you are going through troubles of one kind or another, whether it's your own fault or whether something is beyond your control. I know that some of you are struggling in your marriages. I know that. Some of you are struggling with finances and jobs. Some of you are struggling with depression. Some of you are struggling with a sense of isolation. There's kind of a quiet desperation going on in your heart. Some of you are wrestling with rejection of one sort or another. Some of you are worried about your rebellious kids. And some of the rebellious kids are worrying about their rebellious parents. And then, on top of all of that, that's what I know about you internally, but I also know that many of you are, are worried and, and struggle with the bigger issues. You, you're mindful of issues like racial tensions that are tearing our country apart in so many ways. 
You're mindful of the terrorism. I'm getting ready to go to South Korea. And Carolyn's a little worried. Uh, there's terrorism. There are immigration issues. There's sex trafficking. There's genocide taking place in places in this world. These are troubled times. Not unlike what Luther faced in the summer of 1527. The world seemed to be upside down. And so what is he to do? What did he do? And what are we to do? Remember what God has already done in your life. Remember who God is. He's the God who can. And remember that God is with us, here and now, in the trouble. The Reformation is considered a significant event because it changed the course of Western civilization in so many ways. But I want to argue that perhaps the more important legacy of the Reformation is that it talks about and stresses that we have been changed. We have come to understand that God loves us, that God is with us in times of trouble, whether those troubles of, are of your own making or whether those troubles are beyond your own control. We're not to be terrified of God. We ought to know that he loves us. Let me conclude with, with Luther and give, you the his, give him the final word on this Psalm 46. This is what he says. We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his world against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. That sums it up nicely, I think. Can I get an amen? Not a Presbyterian amen, a real amen. There we go. You've done well. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a marvel. You are a God who loves us in spite of our frailties, of our foolishness, of our faults. And we trust you and we turn to you in times of trouble, whatever the circumstance might be. We thank you for Luther and for the, the struggles that he had because he has become a window into our own souls and the struggles that we have. And he's reminded us that you are indeed a God who loves us. We pray in the precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.